Hello, everybody. Welcome to You Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to episode 149, and tonight we are covering the top five CGI animated movies. Um, Frank, how are you doing this week? Um, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, thanks you, for asking. How are you feeling about the list? It's a good list. I enjoyed watching all these movies again. Um, it was actually kind of a hard list to make because there's so many movies that are like sort of similar in terms of their um their plotting or their like makeup that um sometimes it would like it was difficult for me really to parse down so i kind of just had to go not only with like gut reaction to what i felt was like a good sampling of sampling of like whatever like that's style of filmmaking or whatever but also um movies that i just genuinely enjoyed watching mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean it was and um you're i mean overall like you're you're a pretty big fan of animated movies in general right yes unless i'm not <laughs> okay no, explain like what do you mean i'm really not a fan of like crass like condescending animated movies that are just kind of like talking down to the audience or don't really i don't know i can't really think of a good example right now but there's plenty of stuff that comes out um that i don't necessarily think is worth watching but there's a lot of stuff that comes out that i think is has a mainstream appeal but is also like well worth watching from like an adult perspective um, and I think that's especially true um, with Pixar being like the Pixar and then as like a Pixar is like 1A and then like 1B, maybe two is um, uh, DreamWorks films mm-hmm. are like the two studios that really took the animated film from a Western perspective and made it something that... um you know, a genre that you can invest in as an adult and you can still, like, enjoy. Um, although I think there still is kind of that stigma that animated movies are generally for children. And when a movie tries to kind of push past that barrier and be, like, a more adult... Um, more adult-oriented film, like, it tends to either fail or be really poorly reviewed or it's just not a very good movie. Um, I'll point out, like, uh, the Beowulf animated feature is a really good example of that, Um, which is a beautifully animated movie, um, some amazing visuals uh, that really, like, capture the feel, and I hate Beowulf, (laughs) just, like, 100% honesty, but Mm -hmm. they capture the feel of the story, and it does it in a really, like, interesting way, but just wasn't a very good movie like i didn't enjoy it very much um it's funny and this is actually like one of the first movies that involves cgi animation but um disney's the black cauldron is actually one of the first examples of a mainstream animation studio trying to make something that was more adult oriented and actually had to get cut like i think like 20 minutes had to get cut out of that movie Oh, really? Um, it was uh, Katzenberg and Eisner, mm-hmm. I think, were in charge of Disney at the time. And 
basically force um I think it's Don Bluth that was the director of uh, Black Cauldron, whoever it was. Basically, forced them to um, cut like all this stuff out because it was too uh, too dark, like decapitations and disembowelments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I like uh, Black Cauldron yeah. quite a bit, uh-huh. um, but it's funny because it was a movie that wasn't even available to see, like rent on video um, for I don't know something like fifteen years after it was released. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I think, the first Western animated movie, maybe the first animated movie that used computer-generated effects in um, concert with, like, hand-drawn animation. Hmm. Um, but before that, like, any kind of, like, adult-themed animation, this is, like, completely off-topic for what we're talking about. But um, before that, any real adult-themed animation was coming from people like um, like Ralph Bakshi with uh, Lord of the Rings or Fritz the Cat. Um, there's a movie called Fire and Ice, that's kind of like uh, Frazetta inspired, um, like dark fantasy. That's kind of adult oriented heavy metal, probably mm-hmm. the most famous example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like the extreme of like being like truly adult oriented. And then you had stuff that was really just geared towards children. And it's really the early Pixar stuff, you know, um, Toy Story, uh, Monsters, Inc., um, and then stuff like the Shrek movies that really kind of pull those two worlds together where it's appealing to children and kind of a socially acceptable movie you can take your kid to watch, but also has enough where as an adult you can watch it and still enjoy, um, you know, and, and enjoy the movie from like an actual like filmmaking perspective. So, and I think that the five movies on this list kind of capture both elements of that. Um, I still enjoyed watching all five of them. Um. Um. So you bring that up. I mean, it is something I wanted to ask you, though. Like, do you prefer animated movies before CGI became prevalent, or is it all the same kind of to you? I mean, it's not the same, but I don't. I look at them as two different things. Okay. Um. I think it's definitely in the modern age easier to watch movies that utilize CGI to some capacity because they're more seamless, less rough. Um, I mean, stuff that we enjoyed that was animated when we were young, like when you go back and watch it today, there's a very rough element to all of it. And I think that CGI kind of smooths that over. So even when you watch stuff like the Miyazaki movies, the Studio Ghibli movies, um, the more recent ones, even the ones that are hand-drawn animation, still have an element of like CGI to them, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to being like strictly hand-drawn. Um, I actually probably like, I probably have more artistic or like aesthetic affection for hand-drawn movies, just because I'm always going to have the um prejudice that that takes more talent to do that Mm -hmm. even though i know that like the people that are animating the cgi movies are like brilliant artists and right you know there has to be like a great deal of like because the ability to cartoon in general um is really difficult like when you watch stuff like the old tom and jerry cartoons or the old um merry melodies or looney tunes or whatever Mm mm-hmm old disney stuff the ability to capture human expression in a 
um, distorted or um, like deformed or uh, that's not the right way to put it, but like a caricature basically is, is super difficult to do. And there's a lot of talent that goes into that. And so really good CGI movies. And we're going to talk about like several of them tonight. Oh, actually, I think all five of these movies meet this requirement, but like capturing like human, you know, pathos and joy and pain and tension, like in an animated frame is, um, is super difficult to do. So there's a lot of talent there, but you know, yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that's one of my biases. That's why I wanted to ask you about it is that, um, is that I, I think I just prefer the old like hand animation um, as opposed to stuff that's done in, in the CG. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I get that. And again, like, I think that in my heart, I agree with that um, because, you know, I draw and I paint and I work right. completely in like physical mediums. Like I don't do anything digitally. Um but you know, I mean, I I recognize it as a prejudice in myself, and not like a legitimate, yeah. you know, right? Like, right. there's no way to like objectively say that one is better than the other, <clears throat> because honestly, it's two different things. It's like trying to argue that you know, romantic comedies are better than mm-hmm. slasher movies, and like a broad scale. Because how do you make that argument? Like, it's about the quality of the product being put forward, rather than like you know. It's like apples to oranges, really, even though they're both animated. Yeah, I, I've thought about it a lot this week because I mean, this whole thing's kind of we've talked about animation off and on, like how we'll never do, I'll never give you, condescendingly, I'll never give you an animated episode. But I mean, um, I've been thinking a lot about like how I feel about like animation in the past few weeks, like trying to like uh, wrestle with it, and i think one of the things that i really like with cg compared to like you know hand-drawn animation i think that stands out to me and why it feels like i there's not iconic moments to me like and i don't think it's a product of nostalgia necessarily um completely because like i didn't see the little mermaid until i was slightly older teen um i didn't see it when it first came out same thing with lion king but it's like there there's there's like these iconic like frames um you know like i can remember how those things look and it's like i have a much harder time kind of visualizing when i think about cg movies that i've seen um i have a harder time visualizing those it's almost like if there's too much going on like where i I can't like see it in my head um like i could the old hand hand drawn style Um, i mean and there's the difference because like true hand-drawn animation is done on a cell-by-cell basis so you you know you're basically copying what's on the previous cell onto the new cell by hand and no matter what like it is easier to digitally copy an image onto the next frame and then manipulate it and then so on and so forth and again there's a lot of like immense artistic talent that goes into that but it's just completely different Mm -hmm. and again that's part of my prejudice to it too is i think like i think about the you know on like saturday mornings um they used to show those documentaries sometimes where they would show like 
Walt Disney like hunched over his drawing desk, like pain mm-hmm. painstakingly like crafting like individual cells of animation. And I don't know, like to me, there's something almost romantic about that, I guess, mm-hmm. in terms from like an artistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you watch something like Little Mermaid, you know, I mean, you watch Little Mermaid today, and there's definitely it's not as it's 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 a little rough like a little bit and i think that i believe that lion king had some digital animation Hmm. mixed with the hand-drawn if i'm not mistaken gotcha i might be wrong about that but i think that might be the first disney movie where they use like almost like digital assist and that's why lion king looks so much more pop maybe beauty and the i can't remember which one of them came first i think lion king was before no, Beauty and the Beast came before. Anyway, one of those two movies, I'm almost positive, was the first one where you actually had, um, like, like they used d- digital effects to, like, smooth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like, I'm a really big fan of animated movies in general. Yeah. Um, all different kinds. Like, I love, like, Western animation. I like, you know, um, the Asian animation, like, anime and whatever. Um, I there's a lot of CGI movies I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your least favorite genres is also really appealing to me, which is stop motion animation. Mm. I'm really a big fan of that stuff. Yeah. So, all right. So, is there was there anything that got and got shortlisted uh, that you wanted to mention? Yes, there are several Pixar movies um, that came close to making the list. Um, specifically, uh, Bugs Life and um, Monsters Inc. Mm-hmm. Um, I really considered both. Um, and it's funny that I don't have any of the Toy Stories on my short list, but I definitely enjoy all four of the Toy Story movies. So, I mean, any of those could have easily made the list. Mm-hmm. Um, Big Hero 6 is one that came out a few years ago. Well, I guess probably about eight years ago now, seven years ago, that I thought was really well-conceived and um, a really interesting like superhero story set in an animated universe. Um, I love Despicable Me. Mm-hmm. And Despicable Me too. I think those movies are fantastic. Yeah, those are ones I actually like. Yeah. There's a um, uh, what's the name? Uh, Music Man, kind of esque mm-hmm. animated movie called um, Over the Hedge, mm-hmm. from about uh shit like 15, 2000 maybe? yeah 2004 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, that was I thought really brilliant and really funny and really well done. Um, a movie called Flushed Away that is one of my favorite like just plot wise and like humor wise one of my favorite animated movies um and that's probably like 13 or 14 years old now and then shrek one and shrek two um i consider putting both them on the list because i think those are both actually maybe shrek two more because i think the i can't remember what episode it was we talked about shrek two at some point we did um which is one of the reasons why i didn't put it on there same with toy story two right uh, was it toy story two that we talked about i think so yeah yeah, that might be right. Yeah. Um, yeah, all of those movies, and that was just like a quick because uh, I came up with this list pretty fast. I mean, it, so this was just a quick like run through of just thinking about movies, not even looking them up. Um, I can't remember what it's called. There's a movie that's done in the style of like the Day of the Dead, and it's not in in, in Kanto. It's another one that came out. Oh, there's a movie called the, the Box Trolls movie, actually, too, that I thought was really great. They came out, like, right around when the Lego movie came out. Um, it's not Mo- Mo- Moana or whatever. It's not that one, is it? No, Moana's really good, though. That's another 
and um brave is really good and frozen is really good and um shit there was another one that i just thought of and i just lost it like in the second that i lost it um oh tangled tangled is fantastic like i tangles all right yeah no it's better than all right tangles a really good movie oh that's Tang- the best that's like that's that's pretty high praise for me <laughs> i i find tangled to be one of the i mean it's the plot is whatever but it's one of the best written movies from a character perspective in relation to mm-hmm. his interaction with her as like believable like human characters even though they're animated um i really like that movie a lot what about up um and wally yeah oh yeah I, i'm i actually don't like wally yeah um i don't know why it's just it's not for me um i don't think wally's a bad movie but i don't you know mark out to it like some people do mm-hmm. the only pixar movie that I, I legitimately hate are the cars movies i think are fucking atrocities mm-hmm. um we've talked about them on a podcast too yeah. um talk about one yeah up up is fantastic um the one with the emotions uh shit what was that one called emoji? from like the emoji movie no 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 emotions no. where it's like joy and depression and whatever fuck yeah. what is that movie called i can't remember it's it's a pixar movie from like four or five years ago um it was pretty decent too so um yeah in fact you had a monsters inc initially on this list um and made me watch it um it was seriously just my trick to get you to watch more um just watch an extra yeah i'm, I'm just extra animated right um, i really just like legitimately changed my mind yeah well the only reason i'm bringing it up is because i just want credit for my tears because i actually did cry at the end of that movie um it was all right um <clears throat> you're such a prick <laughs> i gonna 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 be gonna be a fun podcast <laughs> now nah, i'm going this with a good attitude frank mm. there's, there's all kinds are you, of are you drunk can... already nope haven't 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 took a single sip of sip <laughs> uh, just give me until the end of like the next movie um <clears throat> let me see if i can see your jack daniels like poking out from <laughs> Uh, now nah, I mute myself that kind of stuff sometimes um all right so jumping into your list number five on your list is nine uh, from 2009 it is directed by Shane Acker it is voice acted by Elijah Wood John C. Riley, Jennifer Conley Christopher Plummer Crispin Glover Martin Landau it has a 58 percent from critics and a 56 percent from audiences so you want to tell us a little about this movie and uh why you put it on the list um so maybe the only animated post-apocalyptic cgi movie in existence um it's kind of a i mean it's not like a convoluted plot but it's a really like almost like esoteric plot in the sense that there's these sack doll creatures that are a combination of like burlap and like steampunk aesthetic Mm -hmm. um that are still living in this obviously like war-torn post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic world that you later learned was basically destroyed by um 
in the same way that like the world of the terminator was destroyed so what is that cybernet rights cyberdyne whatever i can't remember the name of that the company is in terminator oh, jesus i just watched it the other night too terminator 2 um skynet skynet um, yep skynet yep what is cyberdyne what is cyberdyne like uh, yeah that's but you something. said it it was like that's something like uh, okay sorry go ahead i'll find out um so anyway so it's it's the same idea where these machines were built to help humanity and then through the greed of the politicians the machines were used to create um instead of creating like there was this thing called them um this big machine that could create smaller machines that was supposed to create machines to help humanity and instead was changed to create machines of war so it ended up wiping out humanity entirely so the scientist that was initially responsible for creating the big machine transferred his soul um, into nine humanoids, like puppets, um, that would basically destroy the machines of war and kind of like bring back, um, kind of start the cycle of nature again. So <clears throat> sort of like the plot from... Um, the Horizon, Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West, in a way. Um, kind of a little bit of Terminator in there. Um, so it follows Nine, who is the last of these puppets to be animated. Um, who becomes, like, introduced to and sort of reunited with his fellow creations and um has this innate curiosity to figure out like what's wrong with the world and he wants to save like one of his comrades gets stolen and then one who's the martin landau character um is reticent to let anybody ever leave he just wants to stay inside and kind of exists without like really ever taking any risks um and so they accidentally reactivate the giant like creating machine that makes these really well conceived and awesome looking like um patchwork like automatons to go and hunt them down um it gets kind of convoluted because the whole idea of like the scientist's soul being trapped in these things and then it's like the pieces of his soul that end up like destroying the machine in general and <clears throat> i don't know the end of that movie is ridiculous in terms of like the plot but I love the way the world looks. Um, it's got a very like Fallout-esque like vibe to it. Um, it's very dark in terms of like when the big like master creator machine is putting together his little like minions, he's like pulling human skeletons from the wreckage and kind of like binding them with like solder and like twine to gears and you know umbrella wings and stuff to create these monstrosities um there's also a lot of death in the movie so the machine itself if it grabs these little sock puppet sock puppets can suck their souls out of them and then they die and it's pretty like it's not even like off camera like they very visually like have the life sucked out of them and you see like the spark like fade and then their empty like sock puppet corpses just like flop to the ground um really dark for a, a children's movie um but I think it's got some really good action sequences. Um, this is a movie that Frankie and I did not see in the theater. We like I just bought it on DVD and we watched it. Um, we both really enjoyed it a lot. And so we used to watch it a lot when he was eh, probably like eight or nine years old, I guess, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. 
I like the voice acting a lot in it. Um, again, I, I, I think the real, I think what holds this movie back from really like being elevated, in my opinion, is the fact that the plot gets kind of silly in the sense that there's no scientific logic behind the idea of like for being a movie that's i mean i guess the idea is that it's like very anti-industrialization and anti-warmongering and it's more about like appreciating what's in your soul and appreciating like what makes us human um but it's kind of silly in the way that they end it but i think it's a beautiful movie to look at i love the aesthetic of the movie um and I generally think that it's a really bold decision to make a movie that takes that many risks in terms of like being as dark as it is. Um, and kind of dealing with stuff like what makes someone a human, like cowardice, um, sacrifice, uh, you know, again, a lot of really dark scenes that I think would be more akin to like a PG 13, like live action action movie than, you know, an animated film so yeah i thought this was a really interesting world i was really intrigued by everything for the first like say 20 minutes or so um as the world got established and built i i think the narrative like you said i think you used the word convoluted um yeah i i felt like after a while it, like the the plot got really convoluted like unnecessarily so uh to where just, to the point where i kind of just like started like losing interest in the plot and just kind of just watched it and yeah and it's because it just never really makes sense like right. it's basically like creating its own logic as it goes so when it needs something to be the reason for a circumstance it just all of a sudden is like it starts out as you know this kind of plea against you know the war machine or whatever like the the industrialized work complex whatever you want to call it but then it's like, well, here's some mysticism and here's like some magic and here's, you know, maybe some like spiritual commentary and it, but it never like commits to any one thing. So it's just kind of like meanders between these ideas. And I think that's where it suffers is that it's not, I don't know. But another reason why I like this movie so much, um, there's a TV show from the eighties uh, called the littles uh, which was about these um, tiny humans that lived inside the walls of the this house and they would make things like um, boats and airplanes out of stuff like matchbooks and um, teacups and whatever and that that was actually uh, studio ghibli made a movie called arietti which is an adaptation of the same source material of the littles um, but I've always, I always love like, or like, you know, the Tom and Jerry shit. Like, I, I love that idea of like smaller beings using like normal items in ways to create something new, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, uh, Jennifer Connelly, right, is the lady, yes. the female yeah. voice actor in this. Mm -hmm. So she plays Seven, who's this um ninja that wears like a like a bird skull on her face and has um like a fishing hook grappling hook and like these weapons that are fashioned out of things like a scalpel and i don't know i just always think that stuff is really cool and really inventive um, and i enjoy that part of the aesthetic of the world too
yeah yeah no i like the world um i I, I like the world that it's set in i i appreciate the like slightly darker bent um that where most of these cgi movies are so like to me like happy-go-lucky um and bright all the time I, i did appreciate the aesthetic of this um a lot more um yeah i just kind of got like lost after a while like in the plot and like i got lost to the point where it's like i didn't really understand what was at risk (laughs) like i i I, so i couldn't really connect necessarily with the with the narrative but um, yeah but yeah but i I, it it wasn't it it wasn't as trite as like to me as like some cgi like it, it had different lessons um rather than teamwork and and be yourself kind of um it had something different going on so um yeah i mean overall i enjoyed it um it was just narratively i just was like why are you just keep packing in information but um it was it was it, i i actually enjoyed watching it um overall yeah. so um, uh, it's not free anywhere so i can't say like immediately go out and right um but if you've got like not super young kids, but maybe like preteen, um, and it's what seventy minutes long or something like that. Yeah, eighty it's minutes a, long. 80, it's eighty some, eighty six, eighty super short. Yeah, it's not very long. Um, so definitely worth the watch, even if just for the animation and you know the inventiveness of seeing something like you know to Chris's point, like completely different than um what you would normally expect to see in an animated film. So. All right. Uh, number four on your list is 2014's The Lego Movie. It is directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. It is voice acted by Chris Pratt, uh, Morgan Freeman, Elizabeth Banks, Will Arnett, Nick Offerman, Allison Brie, um, and Will Ferrell, who also doubles as a live action character as well. Um, has a 96% from audience, or sorry, from critics, and an 87% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, why you put it on the list? Uh, so let me say first of all that I was surprised that I did not enjoy this movie as much as I did when I first saw it um I still really enjoyed it but I there's something about the first time you see it I think that has like a lot of magic to it um that maybe is lost on subsequent viewings when like the the surprise factor is gone um because this is definitely a movie of this is like the easter egg movie out of like any where like everything is a reference or an easter egg or you know even if it's just like being self-referential to lego itself there's stuff like hidden all over the place in this movie Mm -hmm. um so the basic premise is that um fuck what is his name the little lego man shit i just watched it two nights ago Um, yeah i know Oh, real quick, Cyberdyne. Cyberdyne, you're right. It is Terminator 2. Skynet is the program. Cyberdyne is the company. Okay. Uh, so Chris Pratt, Chris, Chris Pratt plays Emmett. Emmett, yeah. Who's this Rick kind Kowski, of non... Kowski, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, this nondescript little Lego construction man that lives in Lego City and does the same thing every day that everybody else does and goes to his construction job. And even among like the other nondescript Lego people, there's really nothing to speak of with him. Um, Leaving work late one night sees this beautiful Lego woman breaking into his construction site and then gets in like trapped in this 
sort of heist where they're stealing this thing called the craggle um or no they're stealing the the brick of destiny which is supposed to stop this evil super weapon yes. called the craggle yeah um piece of resistance piece of resistance sorry <laughs> uh he's supposedly a master builder which is this classification of lego people that can work beyond the instructions and kind of create whatever they want out of lego bricks um he's supposedly like the chosen one the prophesized one that's going to save the world from evil lord business um who's the will ferrell character uh and then it's just kind of like a heist and chase movie through various lego set um world design so they do old west lego and the lego friends and um lego space and star wars and batman and lego pirates and lego city and again like so many references especially if you're like a fan of lego or you play with lego um like you'll see so many things that are like references to other sets um but for most of the movie he doesn't feel special and he's kind of like unable to really do anything until they figure out that it's his imagination and kind of like heart that's the key to beating lord business um and you find out that what lord business is really is will ferrell <coughs> as this like adult fan of lego who believes that you have to follow the instructions 100 percent, and everything has to be built exactly how it's supposed to be built and in order to stop his children from playing with his lego is using crazy glue which is the craggle with like shit over the letters um to seal up all the legos so you can't take them apart ever um and in the end of course like the good lego people win and they win over lord business and will ferrell and you know they start having fun with lego again and everybody's happy and that's it um brilliantly animated movie uh one of the most intricately assembled films I've ever seen in terms of just the the sheer amount of complexity because everything that's animated in the movie is almost done on a brick by brick brick basis, just like real Lego. Um, so when things like fall apart or like you you can see like the separations between like each brick, so meticulously crafted movie um, has some pretty funny parts in it. Uh, mm -hmm. I think. The highlight of the movie is um, Will Arnett yes. playing uh, Batman, um, just with like the most like no perfect parody of all the Batman tropes, like being an orphan and everything has to have bat in front of it, and the fact that like he's basically this just egomaniac, yes, oh um, that's in love with himself, and uh -huh. um, but still like never in a way where he's a bad guy like he still is like a good guy the whole time even when he's kind of seeming like this egotistical asshole right. um it always works and um some really funny stuff with like <laughs> like lando calvarizian um trying to talk batman to coming on the millennium falcon and um i don't know there's just a whole bunch of small things in it that are genuinely funny um really clever pop culture references all over the place um amazing how many like different and i guess it's because lego holds the rights to the lego likeness mm -hmm. of those things but just able to put like 
DC superheroes in with like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and um then mixed with stuff like Abraham Lincoln and Socrates and shit so it's just um funny movie but uh, then like cool. I think some of the funniest stuff though honestly out of all that is like the generic Lego people um so like there's what is it uh 80 80 something space guy or something like 80 something yeah. space guy like I think that's a hilarious character and then the um the the good cop bad cop stuff oh yeah that's was was really good yeah um i actually like one of the funniest like bits to me is in the beginning where they're talking about um they're telling emmett how like he's got nothing going on and he's like bert bert's got a big sausage right. like that's his thing is he he likes this big sausage oh, i love the big sausage uh-huh. uh, i don't know like uh-huh. all that stuff is um it's just it's, it's a really well done movie and again i think the first time that you watch it like just seeing all those different references and um because when i went into it like i knew what it was i saw it maybe a week after it came out so it had gotten like really like really good reviews and i went to see it with um a girl i was dating and her daughter mm-hmm. um and so it's always fun to watch those movies for the first time with the child like seeing the child's reaction um because it sort of like opens you up and makes you react more from i think like a childlike perspective um but yeah but just like all the in jokes all the references all the easter eggs and just the sheer complexity and like talent that went into making that movie it's just really enjoyable to watch um i'd imagine that anybody that would be interested in watching the lego movie has probably seen the lego movie but if you haven't for some reason it's definitely worth your time yeah i'd never seen the lego movie before um i honestly i haven't seen a lot like most like cgi anime stuff but um i had never seen this one before and um uh i enjoyed it yeah i thought it was fun um i can certainly understand where if i watched it again i would not feel that way whatsoever like uh so to what you were saying in the beginning that's how i feel about like a lot of animated stuff sure is is it's like i can enjoy it it's fine it's fun you know um if i sat down and watched it again i probably would i would probably get really bored and not feel that way as much because because so much of it relies on jokes to me um and it's weird because it's like they're they're not jokes where it's like to me it's like they're they're well-crafted jokes they're like kind of like i don't know i probably should have thought this through more but it's like they're references and like and and those things can kind of wear themselves out to me um the next movie does something similar i think um that we're going to talk about but um so i will tell you this like and i definitely i think have a more open mindset when it comes to these movies yes i haven't seen this movie in eight years or whatever since it came out i think it maybe was fall of 15 14 fall of 14 was this movie haven't seen it since but i still enjoyed it eight years later Mm -hmm. but i don't know that i could watch this movie again so when i when frankie was young and if you have kids like you know know about like this tendency is little kids will watch the same movie eight nine times in a week Mm -hmm. So I would literally see 
the nightmare before christmas seven or eight times every week you know we were watching monsters inc sometimes like 10 times a week nine even though he was a little older we probably watched that movie like once a week at least or every other every other week i've probably seen nine like 20 or 30 times without exaggeration and it almost becomes almost like asmr kind of or whatever like where it's like you can kind of just zone out and have that noise and like you know what's happening where you don't even look at the screen to know exactly what's occurring i don't know that i could do that with a lego movie and it's very hyperkinetic. it's very busy um again beautiful movie but it's very difficult to i think watch like over and over so it's something where i think 100 percent. like if you i think if you went back in 10 years and watched the lego movie again you would find some enjoyment watching the lego movie again i think if you tried to watch the lego movie like next week you would not enjoy it at all right or you would just be like super bored and you'd want to turn it off so Uh maybe that's the difference i don't know because i I still enjoy a lot of cgi animated i think it's like the lego movie is the perfect gimmick movie because that's what it is sure it's just it's a very kind of threadbare plot to sort of showcase lego um and it maybe even shouldn't work because there's a playmobile movie that's fucking awful Mm. um that tries to do the same thing but for whatever reason like they did it just right where it it works really well so are any of the other lego movies any good just out of curiosity (sighs) i thought the lego batman movie was really really impressive to watch Mm -hmm. and is it's just too much of one joke right like batman works in the lego movie because they just have him pop up for a punchline basically or you know to progress the scene it's not like batman's because it's emmett it's chris pratt's like voice work and that character that's the centerpiece of the the movie and um banks's wild style or Mm -hmm. lucy whatever her name is that um you know, those are the characters that kind of like like lend humanity and propel the movie. And Batman comes in to kind of basically just be a parody of Batman and like make you laugh. And then he kind of moves on. Yeah. So when it's happening for an entire movie, mm-hmm. it gets kind of old. And I think the Batman movie's pretty long, like 90 minutes long. Mm. Um, now there's some amazing stuff in it and it looks fucking beautiful. Like it's it's so impressive to watch those Lego movies just because of the way there's so many individual pieces of animation that have to occur just in relation to the way that like the bricks interact with each other. Um, it's always a super impressive feat, I think, to see that stuff. Um, I haven't seen the Lego movie too. I've seen a couple of the Lego Ninjago movies, which I thought were fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's whatever. Gotcha. There's definitely diminishing returns, like after the first one. Gotcha. All right. Um, all right. Number three on your list is 2012's Wreck It Ralph. It is directed by Rich Moore and it is voice acted by John C. Riley, appearing again on the list, Sarah Silverman, Jack McBrayer, uh, Jane Lynch, Alan Tudyk, and Mindy Cowling. It has an 87% from critics and an 86% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about this one and uh, why it's on the list? 
Uh, so one of the last same the one of the more recent and last animated movies I saw in a theater. Um, it involves a '80s video game um, called Record called Fix It Felix Jr., where the John C. Riley character Ralph is this um, almost like Donkey Kong esque character, but he's like the disheveled hillbilly looking guy with like the coveralls and no shoes. Um, and in the game, he climbs up a building and like breaks the windows and wrecks. And then Felix, who's the Jack McBrayer character, has to come behind. <laughs> and it's sort of like a combination of, um, well, this is basically Mario, like mm-hmm. jumping from window to window and then repairing. So it's a very, like, it's, it's not a real game. Or at least it wasn't when the movie came out, um, even though I think there is a Wreck-It Ralph like, that they actually made. Um, it's like Rampage, like, but with yeah, like, it, a Mario it, it is character like, fixing everything behind him. Yeah, yeah ramp, Rampage in reverse. Um, yeah, right. So Ralph is tired of being the villain. He's tired of being like thrown off the building all the time and not ever like winning. Um, he goes to a support group of other villains, which um, one of my favorite parts of the movie when I first saw it. So it's like uh, Zangief and <laughs> Zangief is like yeah. Zangief was crushing man's head between yeah. his legs like a grape. And why does Zangief do this? And realized if Zangief is not going to crush head like a grape, who will? <laughs> um, so it's like Zangief and M. Bison and the House of the Dead zombies and um, the ghost from Pac Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's a clever bit. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's just really like this funny thing where this is self help group of like mm-hmm. um, basically self actualization of these villains, like that I'm a villain and it's okay because right. the world needs the hero needs somebody to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ralph's not having it, so Ralph uh, basically escapes one night from the game system because um, he's going to get a medal so he can be recognized as being, like, a hero. Um, so he escapes into this first-person shooter uh, that's kind of like an homage to um, Starship Troopers where it's, you know, shooting bugs or whatever. Um, he gets the medal and then escapes into a Mario Kart-esque world where it's a bunch of like cutesy like uh race car drivers racing like food like candy themed um race cars which i guess at the time was kind of an homage to like candy crush and mario kart combined um the underlying theme is that there's really strict rules in the video game community about not leaving your game because this character turbo in the early 80s um left this 2d racing game to go into like a forced perspective 3d like outrun or something um and basically caused both games to get shut down so everyone warns against like going turbo so felix thinks that ralph has gone turbo so he leaves his game to go find ralph um and ralph at the time meets this um race car driver uh this young girl race car driver in the game who's ostracized because she's apparently a glitch where she can cause bad things to happen in the game um and then it's uh the jack mcbrayer character and um uh what's the jane lynch yeah jane lynch is this um hard as nails like marine that's from the first person shooter and felix falls in love with her which is also like one of my favorite parts of the movie is like the budding romance because it's just funny to hear you know so jack mcbrayer is um kenneth in 30 rock Mm -hmm. um one of the you know 
sometimes like some of the best lines in that show delivered by him so it's the same voice he's got oh, this all shucks like mm-hmm. almost like opie type voice you know but like being all romantic with this woman and falling in love with her and being all heroic and then um it turns out that the character that's like the head of the candy racing world is actually turbo in disguise um and he wants to plot to take over that whole world and um they foil his plot and in the end um what is her name penelope van something uh, the the glitch girl um character is van, it's van El- van elevy right yeah, but, yeah Vanellope like, van sweets or something right like something like they have but yeah. Vanellope van sweets yeah. Um, it turns out that she was actually the ruler of the candy world and that he had changed people's memories. And so she gets to live happily ever after and um, fix it. Felix marries the woman from the first person shooter world. And um, Ralph, he, he gets this, like brings all these characters from defunct video games into fix it, Felix and, they all work together and it causes it to become like another hit again and everybody's happy. So, um, so this is again, similar to the Lego movie. I actually still really enjoyed Wreck-It Ralph and I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater with Frankie like years ago, still really, really enjoyed watching this movie. And again, it's the level of detail from someone who's been a lifelong fan of playing video games, like just the sheer amount of, characters and references that they can put into this movie is um it's impressive and it's fun to watch um it's got that um, again like super deformed um art style to it um but they're video game characters so it makes sense from that perspective that they're i can i can accept it because of that yeah it doesn't bother me like human humanistic characters because they're already video games you know um but yeah just it's really good sense of humor to it and i think it's well paced um it does suffer a little bit from something that you and i talked off air and i don't know if i'm stealing your thunder here but there is this sort of kind of underlying structure to these movies where it's a lot of things happen and then very little happens and then a lot of things happen there's like a very noticeable like ebb and like lull to the way the action is structured and that does kind of happen here where they're building the relationships between ralph and vanellope and um felix and the lieutenant um but I, I i think it looks beautiful i think it's very aesthetically pleasing i love the candy world the way that it looks um i love the way they film like the emptiness of like the off-screen stuff in other video games like because fix of felix is a single screen um platform game in the in the movie and so it's like here's what's off the screen to the left and here's what's off the screen to the right and seeing the characters being able to look out through the you know the glass itself like out into the real world um i don't know i i really like the aesthetic of this movie and i like the sense of humor um and i think it actually does the high stakes element like really well at the end um when they're beating turbo finally um I like all that stuff with like all the bugs like infesting the world and everything. So, yeah, yeah, so this was the only one I had seen on the list um, before, and I really enjoyed it. Like when it came out, like on streaming or whatever. Um, 
I saw it like probably 13 or something like that, like a year after it came out. And I really enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it this time. I uh, overall, um, this is why I was saying last time I can see where I might not enjoy the Lego movie um, as much on a second viewing. Um, who knows, even 10 years from now, I'm not sure if, if I would enjoy it as much. But um, uh, and it's because like while I enjoyed it, like um, like I, I knew a lot of the jokes, you know, and stuff like that. And like the jokes in a lot of uh, these movies don't like necessarily like hold lasting value to me. Uh, in a lot of ways i forgot that i said the thing about like uh what you were just referencing about like kind of like the ebbs and flows like of um you know the valleys and peaks of of the storytelling um uh, which is definitely true um and it's because there's a formula to it um in a lot of these movies but um the the, the valleys are always where it's like you progress plot or character um and then it's back to the action to keep the kids interested again but um and that's where like where like a lot of the jokes come in and stuff but um i think it does it well um i actually thought you were going to reference my my when i'm being mean and like hypercritical about like villains in these movies like secret villain syndrome um like monsters inc had it like this has it like there's tons of them anytime there's like a villain it's like it feels like it's always secret villain um in a lot of them and um even though there's secret villain syndrome in this, like the reveal of it, um, I think works pretty well, but that's only because Alan Tudyk is um, massively underrated as both an actor and a voice actor. Like that guy's amazing to me um, uh, in the way that he can like uh, modulate his voice and to like do impressions and all those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and his body too. Like that guy is way underrated um, just in general, but um no, this is a really good voice cast, and they sell, like, the jokes and the dialogue really well to me. Um, I can't speak to the animation, because I just don't understand those things. It doesn't bother me. I actually like the way this looks a lot. Um, it's just that it, uh, on the second viewing, it's, like, lost a little bit of its luster to me, but I still really enjoyed it um, overall. I haven't seen um, the the sequel at all. But <laughs> I haven't either. Oh, okay. Was it Felix or Ralph Rex, the internet, or something, something like, like that? Something like that, yeah. Something, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't tend, especially since Frankie's like an adult now, um, I don't tend to revisit mm. um, animated movies very often. So I think this is, again, something where if I was, if I had to watch this repeatedly, like multiple times a week, I would probably get tired of seeing it, but mm -hmm. watching it whatever six years seven years after it came out i still really enjoyed it and i thought um, i found myself still really charmed by the things that i found charming the first time um so yeah and i think the voice acting is superb on all parts no i think you're right i think i found i think i agree with you i think i found myself charmed with the things that i found charming the first time and very nonplussed by the things i didn't enjoy the first time like in kind of like to the point of like a okay I think I forgive some of that stuff just because in my mind it's like, well, they're not trying to make highbrow entertainment here. They really are trying to like appeal to as wide a cross section of, you know, the world as they can or whatever, however you want to say it. So, hmm. okay. Because um, otherwise you get fucking Avatar and who wants to watch that shit? So, okay. Let me. So I actually find that is trying to appeal both to children 
and adults at the same time. Yes. Where older movies were broader in nature and didn't talk down to kids and here's the here's your kid shit and here's your adult references like you know like you know let's hear something for you so like while, while the kids are being entertained by the by the by the the manic nature of this movie um i actually found that like those old animated like mostly hand-drawn movies aren't talking down to kids as much um and it's something that everybody could enjoy like is is how i feel about like a lot of those things so it's like i, I do I, think it's a broad audience for those old movies like i would argue that wreck it ralph does that to a point there's only a couple times where i think stuff is like purposefully either purposefully overly subtle to be like just an adult reference or so like blatantly obvious that it's i don't know i i I, I find Wrecker Ralph to have a good balance in that regard where I think you can watch it and enjoy it as an adult. And I think that a child can enjoy it the same. Um, and, but that's because I've seen like so many movies that are very, very obviously what you just said. Mm. Um, so anyway, that's Wrecker Ralph. Good movie. Number two on your list is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse from 2018, the most recent movie on the list. Um, oh, damn it. I forgot to look up this guy's name. Um, so it's three different directors. Bob Persichetti. 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 All right. Um, Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rothman. Um, it is, uh, let's see, voice acted by Shmeek Moore, uh, Jake Johnson, Haley Stenfield. Uh, I never. Lily Tomlin, that. John Mulaney, yeah, Nick Cage, yeah. Lee yeah. Schreiber. 97% um, from critics and 93% from audiences. So um, this is. This is after like where most of these movies are. So um, if you want to tell us about this movie, why it's on the list and. Um, uh how this maybe differs from some of these other movies for you personally um so it's sort of a sort of an interesting introduction even though this is a non-mcu movie um introduction to the idea of multiverses in the marvel continuity where spider-man peter parker is killed while fighting the kingpin um because he's trying to save miles morales who is um this young kid um late middle school um who has gotten bitten by a spider like a robotic spider from um kingpin's lab um that turns him like grants him spider-man's powers in the same way that you know spider-man got him um and so Spider-Man dies, which is incredibly, like, shocking the first time you see it, this idea of, like, the quote-unquote real Spider-Man dying. And then Miles, of course, is a kid, and he can't control his powers and doesn't understand them. Um, but Kingpin has created this um, particle collider underneath his penthouse in New York, which is drawing Spider-Man from different universes into the Miles Morales universe where this Peter Parker is dead, including um, an older, slightly overweight, dark-haired Peter Parker. Um, Gwen Stacy from an alternate universe who became Spider-Man is um, 
Spider Woman, um, this Asian like anime influenced Spider Man character, uh, Nick Cage's Spider Noir, who's like a 1940s hard nosed detective Spider Man, and then um, Spider Ham, who is a uh, Marvel character from the parody um, car- comic book What the, uh, which was like a monthly that came out in the late 80s, early 90s. That was just comedic looks at like, you know, the tropes of like the X-Men and Spider-Man and Avengers or whatever. So these characters all come together and have to find a way to beat the Kingpin to get back to their own universes. Um, Miles finds out that his uncle is actually a um, hitman that works for Kingpin called the Prowler. Um, His uncle ends up getting killed, like protecting Miles um, during a battle. Um, the other Spider-Men don't really have faith in Miles because he's young and he doesn't really know how to control his powers. So then there's really like great emotional stuff between Miles and his father, um, where Miles like finally gains control over his power and then goes and helps the other Spider-Men get back to their own worlds, beats the Kingpin, um, and is the new Spider-Man in this version of the universe. So, um, really oversimplification of, you know, what happens in that movie, but Uh, It's a really, it's kind of a convoluted story, but it definitely is reminiscent of a lot of things that have happened in Spider-Man's own, like, comic continuity. Um, Great voice acting all around. Um, It's got a really, really interesting, like, pop culture style of animation, um, where sometimes it almost feels like you're watching something like... uh, fuck what are those link letter movies called like a scanner darkly or uh-huh. waking life or something like that yeah. just in the way that there's like a definite like very distinct humanity into the characters and then sometimes they film them in a way that's cartoonish or super deformed to give it like a kinetic like energy um beautiful animation um i love the majority of the character design uh you and i talked about this offline the, the kingpin feels really out of place because he's so hyper exaggerated away from like yeah where every other character is kind of just like a slightly cartoony version of the actual comic book characters like kingpin is um and i don't like i actually who who does that voice of the kingpin i actually it's it's lee schreiber yeah i actually don't like the kingpin voice and i think that's because we have been completely yeah. spoiled by um benicio no or um no, i'm sorry yeah, yeah Vin- vincent d'onofrio doing that character in the live action marvel yeah. stuff sure which is like such a note perfect mm-hmm. um representation of how you feel kingpin is in the comic books that it comes off as like this whiny like brooklynite not this menacing giant um yeah yeah, the the way he looks is one of like my biggest qualms about this movie. Um, and and having just watched Terminator Two the other night, like um, there, <laughs> I don't know if you'll remember it, but you'll you'll know when uh, at some point when you see it. Like, there's a way that the uh, whatever the Robert Patrick Terminator looks at one point, like when he's been blasted, and there's like his head's like like kind of like hanging off of like elongated off his body. Um, I didn't know what you're talking about. Yep. And and it looks that's what Kingpin looks like to me. I realize like it's just this awkward drawing of Kingpin, and I just do not like the way it looks. But um, it's one of my few complaints about this movie is that, 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's also because so it's obvious reinterpretations of a lot of these characters. So Scorpion looks completely different. The Green Goblin looks completely different. Um, they show briefly like Lizard, who's different. Um because it's it's Miles Morales's villain, you know, like it's mm -hmm. his universe and mm -hmm. in the comics he does come from a different like you know, because Marvel has all the different worlds, like Earth 616, Earth like 15, right. whatever. Um, and that's the whole central point is that there's these different universes that exist and all these, but basically that there's some terrible life-changing event that coincides with a spider bite that causes these people to get these powers and basically become Spider-Man. And all of them, there's actually a really good, like kind of heartwarming scene where Miles is shattered by the death of his uncle and they're all you know like this is just us like we've all experienced this and if there's anybody that can understand what you feel it's um it's us and it's it's really good yeah um I love the animation of Spider-Man in these movies um I think that it's every single one of them has their own distinct movements and yet they all managed to capture that inherent feel of like how spider-man you know quote-unquote moves like on the page in the con in the comics um again the voice acting i think is fantastic on all parts um except for schreiber as kingpin um it does something that they can't do in the live action movies which it captures the more outrageous elements of um the comic books where they have to kind of be more even in like the big bombastic like avengers um movies you know they, they still have to rein it in a little bit just because of you know you're filming it live action but here they can do whatever they want so there's some really cool sequences when they're in the collider like as reality is being warped mm -hmm. around them and mm -hmm. spider-man and kingpin are fighting each other and yeah some really great like shots of of him and the miles morales character is written the dynamic between Miles's uncle, who's you know the criminal, and his father is really fantastic and really well written, and genuinely poignant at the end. Yeah, when Miles comes to the realization that his father's a good man and that he loves him, and that he you know, like how terrible it would feel to lose like his his father, and it's just um it's really well done. So great movie, great action movie, really good comic book movie. Um, really good portrayal of Spider-Man, in my opinion. I really mm -hmm. like the Miles Morales character. Um, I like the way he looks, and I like the fact that, you know, it was Marvel taking, like, probably their most iconic character and trying something else and having to actually succeed is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was nice to see Miles Morales, like, being represented finally. Um, the, uh, the video, the Spider-Man, like... Got I guess I kind of say sequel does Miles Morales and it tells the same story with the uncle. The story of the father differs a little bit from this. Um, but no, I really like this. This is probably actually my favorite movie uh, on the list uh, overall. Like the one that like like from start to finish, I enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed the plot. I enjoyed like you know um almost everything about it with a couple exceptions. Like I thought too, like the thought bubbles. Like I thought I, I, some of that like some of those conceits were like a little too fucking cutesy for me um it didn't like I, I didn't hate hate it but it was just like okay like um i didn't think it was needed but 
story-wise, it's a really good story. Um, really good characters. I think really good character development, like for like pretty much like all of the different spider Spider-Mans throughout and stuff like that. Um, I think even though you didn't particularly like Kingpin and I hate the way he looks and stuff like that, I do like that it tries to establish like real motivation for him yeah. as a villain. Um, where um so many animated movies i think like you know that's that's another big difference to me with like a lot of these movies like pixar and dreamworks and stuff like that is like i think your your hero is only as like good as like your villain sometimes and it's like the iconic villains of like old disney movies like are lacking at times um in some in some of these newer movies so it's like things like Cruella de Vil and Ursula you know like I mean like are just like they're they're so well done and I think like you know having like strong villains is is important and um like whatever fucking Turbo like isn't that strong of a villain to me overall um right. to like overcome but um I think Kingpin's like a, a new a slightly nuanced like you know strong villain um, sure he just looks like shit um <clears throat> But this is a good movie. I liked it. And anybody that's like a comic book fan or something like that um, should definitely watch it. So here's a really high compliment that I, I kind of just thought of that I want to pay it. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest, one of the most complicated things for um, comic book movies to do is to introduce multiple villains in the course of a single film. And this movie does it probably better than almost any other um superhero movie in the sense that it doesn't try to introduce a lot of villains as being like singular individual threats to spider-man it just puts them all as henchmen to the kingpin right so if you know the comics like there's some really cool references there and you know seeing um tombstone and a female version of doc ock and um Mm -hmm. seeing uh the prowler and the scorpion like that's really cool to do yeah but it doesn't like you're not bogged down by all these like separate introductions and separate plot lines <clears throat> it all flows really well and i think that's like my biggest compliment is it's probably one of the best best comic book movies that truly capture the feeling of reading a comic book or reading like you know an arc in a comic series that you're reading yeah you're right it's all very organic um from coming from the narrative of how the villains are introduced like yeah and doesn't even beat you over the head like the fact that they made dr octopus a woman like and it's just it's here it is and you just accept it and they do it really really well so right well once they've established the the multiverse concept like it's not a big deal right right and it also puts you in the idea that you're not in the normal universe that you expect to see Mm -hmm. spider-man in that this is now definitely like a different a different universe so yeah absolutely right um they got two more of these coming um over the next few years um so yeah across across the spider-verse i think is the next one or something is across and then beyond i think um or something like that i think that's great um or beyond and across i'm not sure but yeah um so yeah that should be cool all right, so number one on your list is 2003's Finding Nemo. It is directed by Andrew Stanton. It is voice acted by Alexander Gould, 
Albert Brooks, Elna Generous, Willem Dafoe, Brad Garrett, Allison Janney, and a number of others. It has a 99% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and an 86% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this and um, why it's number one on the list? Um, maybe my, definitely, I think, my favorite Pixar movie um, of all time. Um, it's the story of uh, uh, Marlon, who's this clownfish. Um, him and his wife have made this home inside this anemone where they have all their eggs laid. Um, when a barracuda comes, knocks Marlon out, kills his wife, eats all of his children, like his unborn children, except for one egg, um, who when it hatches is his son, Nemo. Uh, Nemo is, then he becomes like the ultimate neurotic where he ref- doesn't want to let Nemo out of his sight, doesn't want to let Nemo like participate in anything. Um, because he's so afraid of him getting hurt, you know, because he's like suffered such like a huge loss. Um, so on Nemo's first day of school, um, they go to the edge of the reef. They all live on a coral reef. And Nemo, in defiance of his father, who's still trying to like smother him, um, goes out to touch this boat and ends up getting taken by a diver, put into a bag and whisked away. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so then the movie kind of splits at that point where it's Marlin traveling through the ocean to try and find his son and Nemo being put into a fish tank in Australia um, where he you know meets these other fish that have been similarly taken and kind of develops relationships with them and sort of gains just the self-confidence and the knowledge that he can be um, he can be tough and he can accomplish things um as Marlin is going through the ocean to find Nemo, he runs across uh, it's not an angelfish. I can't remember what Dory is. He runs across this fish, Dory, who has no short-term memory. Um, so immediately forgets anything that she's told and she accompanies him. They go through all these trials and tribulations. Like they get um they get taken in by a self-help group of sharks who are trying to become um non-fish eaters uh, under the auspices that fish are friends not food um they run across a field of jellyfish um they meet sea turtles and go on the east atlantic or east australian current um all in the pursuit of trying to get to his son and he becomes this this guy that's like neurotic and timid and refuses to take any chances because he loves his kids so much becomes this like legend of the sea where all the sea creatures are talking about this amazing journey of this father like braving all these perils and overcoming all these difficulties just to get to um get to his kid um so in the end they're reunited and you know marlon learns that he has to sort of um like let let his son take chances and kind of let him live his own life and nemo comes to appreciate like the love and dedication that his father has for him and not see it as like a smothering um and dory is able to go with him and i guess have some kind of weird like non-reproductive sexual relationship with marlon i guess is the implication Mm -hmm. um not that they ever say anything like that it's a disney movie but um fantastic voice acting um one of the most beautifully animated movies i think in my opinion ever um just in the way it captures the feeling of depth 
and the feeling of empty floating space that water holds you know like it really feels like there's plenty of times where you know there's like the coral reefs and the other fish and stuff and then it's beautifully animated and it feels like alive and vibrant and then it's times where they're just like floating in the emptiness of like nothing and there's that like whatever like thassalophobia that comes across you like we're like oh my god like it's just so empty um I think it's got a really good balance of a good, well-developed story with great characters and genuine, like, risk, it feels like. Like, mm-hmm. there feels like there's stakes involved in Marlin's quest. Um, there's a couple of times where it's almost, like, perfect that, like, it gets you and you think, like, oh, my God, is, like, like this character dead or, you know. Because they establish right away in the right away. opening yep. five minutes that they are not afraid to, like, kill mm-hmm. a character, which is, like, unheard of almost in right. um, most animated movies. But they don't do it in a way where it's, like, exploitive or graphic or anything. It's just, you don't ever even see it happen. It all happens off screen. But, like, the impact of it is is really powerful, I think. Um, and really well done. Um, and just... Yeah, I mean, this this is one of the movies. So usually when we do my nostalgia pick, it's like the first movie that we talk about. Um, I think this is a fantastic movie, but this is also a super like hard nostalgia pick for me because when Frank was three or four, we used to watch this movie like every day. Mm. Um, he would like get up on the TV and do the whale noises like the um he would do that all the time and um yeah it's just and also because you know i mean it's about a a father trying to find his son and so that would always like speak to me you know from an emotional standpoint and i think that it captures like the emotional weight of that really well and that you Mm -hmm. genuinely um i mean albert brooks is amazing as the voice of marlon like he's he's basically his character in broadcast news but as a fish where there's a sarcasm to him there's a lack of patience to him but there's also just this almost like crippling neuroses to him that he really needs to overcome to kind of save his son and sort of grow as a man and kind of become like a fully functioning individual again where he kind of lost that after the death of yeah his completely unfunny completely yeah. unfunny like you know like completely unfunny full of dad jokes and shit like that and like you know and like yeah like it's almost like the stiller character in um uh tenenbaums like the the trauma that he suffers like you know is very similar yeah um but um yeah just uh one one of my favorite animated movies of all time um a movie i think definitely holds up to repeated viewings um, doesn't necessarily fall into what we were just talking about in we were talking about Wreck It Ralph in the sense that there's no real central villain to this movie. It really is just like sure. a like a chase movie almost, or a, I don't know, um, where it's like man versus nature kind of, and you know the mm-hmm. stakes. What's at stake is like saving the life of his son, and it's um, mm-hmm. it's it's poignant and it's powerful. It's well acted. It's beautiful. Really well directed, I think. Um, with a good sense of humor. Just, yeah, really 
fantastic film in my opinion so yeah somehow i had like in 19 years i had not seen uh finding nemo um and then you you know told me like yeah i need to watch it like and i watched it last night yeah, because and, uh, I, because so monsters inc was originally on this list in place of finding nemo um i like monsters inc a lot but watching it again i just realized that it's a really good movie the relationship between um sully and uh what's her name the the kid mm-hmm. um is fantastic um i think the mike mike wazowski character is really funny and well done but there's just something about the emotional weight to nemo i think that just makes it really special to me and um really enjoy watching it every time i see it and i have i swear to god i've seen finding nemo without exaggeration probably 70 or 80 times in my life so yeah this um this kind this movie probably came the closest to me to reaching that like iconic status that i was talking about with like those older movies that i like so much um like i I think if I watch this like a couple more times, like, you know, and I only know there's a, I'm already like imagining things in my head from watching it um, and, and seeing some of it in stills. Like, you know, I think that because of the wide openness of some things, like, you know, like I can like picture shots from this. Um, it's certainly, I think, one of the more, it, because it's slow, it's also slower it's not as like just hyper and manic and you know like and i um it gives things time to breathe and it's not overwhelming you with fucking joke after joke after joke like i actually really like this a lot um and i can see why like you know easily like it's considered like one of like the best like animated films of all time um I think that Albert Brooks and I would also say Ellen DeGeneres. Um, oh yeah, like make this fucking movie. Like though, like, like it's the perfect comic relief. Um, yeah, and Ellen, the, the whole, the whole odd perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this um, a lot. So yeah, um, you know, two decades later, um, <laughs> finally seeing fucking Finding Nemo. Um, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> no complaints really i'm glad yeah um nemo himself was probably the least interesting thing to me um but but yeah i really enjoyed like the journey aspect of it as opposed to the fishbowl kind of thing aquarium um someday i would like to do uh and hand-drawn animated movies yeah um i think that would be an interesting list but because cgi is like really so prevalent has become you know far and away like the go-to sure format for animated movies i think it's important to talk about this stuff and um yeah yeah just fun to watch um yeah despite my like you know you know awfulness um probably is like a human being like um I, i i enjoyed like all these things overall um like to one degree or another um i'm just emotionally stunted i think or um devoid of emotion or something like that probably from some sort of trauma uh 
but no, I'm really glad I finally watched Finding Nemo, though. Um, and I really like Spider-Man a lot. All right. Um, next uh, next week is the 150th episode. Mm. Um, we'll finally be done this fucking monster. Um, it'll be released in three parts next week, um, all at once. Uh, first part being kind of like looking back at our first episode. The second part being a kind of revisiting of the first episode with a new list and then um the third part being a watch along that we did of the shining together um and then also next week uh we will have on the spin chagrin um a movie featuring paulie shore uh and we will get to talk about paulie shore and you know the career of paulie shore and um, i was so fucking excited mtv like maybe a little bit like um, something we don't get to, we'll never get to talk about. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for both of those. Things. Yeah, we're gonna talk about a lot of shit, buddy. So we are, we are gonna talk. About, we're gonna talk about a lot, and we're gonna talk about a lot of shit. Yeah. Yes, I mean that yeah. sincerely. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, I gotta piss. Let's wrap this up. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I got that, that, that was blunt. Um, sir. I mean it's the truth. Like you I'm, know? I'm a human being. Sock puppet sucking souls um, is the line of the night. Just so you know, um, that's the description. That, of what's say, happening say, in say, it, say it five times real quick, and I'll let you get this. Sock puppet sucking souls. 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 Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good week. Deuces. <laughs>